0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 365 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find an awesome, supportive writing community and some fantastic writing courses. I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles, Adamant Cypher, and now the book The Firestar of Maven and Reeve Mystery. She's very prolific. How are you, Al?
1: Um, prolific,
0: apparently. Although I have to
1: confess, I'm actually not writing a single thing at the moment. I'm uh, oh, okay,
0: having I'm a resting.
1: break. Yeah, oh resting yeah, is good. refilling my creative well, taking yes. myself on creative dates, as Valerie Koo would suggest. I do. Yes,
0: yes. Mm. And All what of those creative things. date did you go on this week? I have been to the local art gallery, but I have actually done like like
1: literally stuck my head in. I didn't actually get too far involved. Stuck okay. my head in, had a bit of a poke about, and left.
0: Nice. Mm. Okay. You're good. Mm. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, so are you enjoying your restful period? Um
1: Yes, yes, I am. Actually, I'm kind of getting trying to get my bit of my life in order. Um, we've also oh, yes. we've got house things happening, like the house is being painted. We've got yeah, oh. you know, I've got a new stove that actually works, which is quite exciting. Right. So there's a bit of that sort of activity going on. Um, yeah. And so there's you know people in and out of the house all the time. So uh, it's a bit difficult to kind of get too involved in too much. So I, I'm just giving myself a rest. I think we discussed mm. this last week. I think I was resting last week
0: as well. No, it's good to have a rest. I'm mm. doing housey things too. I did a big Marie Condo weekend. Oh, gosh. So lots of tidying. The, I can't recognize the place. It's quite Did you throw bizarre. things out? Um, some things, but it was more tidying. I did mm. throw some things out, but it was a lot and a lot of tidying, putting things away into cupboards, putting things into drawers, you know, that kind of thing. So mm. um feels good. Yeah. Clear the spaces. Mm. What are you going to do exactly. now that you've got all that room? Oh
1: just got more. Goodness. You've got more, <laughs> more, more horizontal room. spaces to fill up now.
0: I think also a lot of people are going through what you and I are going through. Uh, you know, in terms of housey things, mm. because we're just at home more because of the current situation. Mm. And um, I was on a webinar the other day. Um, and uh, they were talking about the fact that and i don't don't quote me on this because i haven't read the original source but they were saying that uh, there was a sna- an article about a snake catcher in victoria who says his business has gone up eightfold and he says it's not because there's more snakes it's just because people are at home more and they're seeing them oh <laughs> so right. the snakes are, are always there wow okay <laughs> yes but he's um extremely busy well, that's good. It's good to know that somebody's, you know, going
1: all right with all this. The snake catching <laughs> yeah. business is booming. That's exactly. fantastic. it's booming. Good to hear. Um, <laughs> or, and, and saying that though, because we're, we're on the south coast, I can honestly say that um, the uh, we have. I don't think we've ever been busier down here than we have been over the oh, last you six mean months. Tourists, day trippers, tourist-wise, yeah. The weekends yeah. are insane, and I yeah. think it's because um, you know people can't go anywhere else. Mm. Uh, They can't sort of fly overseas until like, I mean, is the Queensland border open now? I'm not sure, but there's no going anywhere. So Mm. it was like, where can we drive to? And they have all discovered Jervis Bay, which is, you know, a blessing and a curse. We don't don't do anything that involves us to go north-south on the weekends. We can Mm. – it's it's like – the boys say to me, let's go do something. I'm like, you can choose anything where we can go east-west.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and that's it.
1: We're not going anywhere that involves us to get on oh, the highway wow. and drive
0: north-south. It's, cra- it's yes. crazy. crazy. What, because you, you mean the beaches are packed and you can't park and stuff? Well, the beaches are packed. Like if you go Mm. further south, if you go sort of to, it's
1: just the high. It's just getting there and back. Like it's it's more the highway. The the traffic is insane. The traffic is insane. So, um, getting there and then you get there. You know, you get all the way down to down to Jervis Bay or whatever, and there's like eight billion people. Whereas if we wait till Wednesday afternoon and go, there's no one there.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah,
1: just do that.
0: Just do that. All right, let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. We've got a really great post on the Australian Writers' Centre blog on how long does it take to write a first draft because everyone's different, right? Everyone is first different. Yeah, it's just... And like vastly different. Yeah. So we've got, um, we've compiled a bunch of authors in this list, um, 10 authors, just to compare how long it took for them to write their first draft. Now, you may remember that Ali Berg and Michelle Kalis, who we've interviewed on the podcast before, um... Uh, they wrote, they co-wrote the book Ninja and While You Were Reading. And Ali told us that it took her about, or well, took her and Michelle about a year for the first draft of While You Were Reading. So, you know, that's interesting. <clears throat> Whereas someone like Petronella McGovern, who wrote um, the novels, who's also been on the podcast and she she wrote Six Minutes and most recently The Good Teacher, she says her draft took six months after mm. thinking time of three years because some people have different um, uh, periods of thinking time as well. You know, mm, some things right. come well-formed. Some people think about things for years. Um, Christian White, who wrote The Wife and the Widow and the Nowhere Child, his first draft only took six months. So, mm. you know, that's not bad, right? Well, that's right. I mean, I, I think it – I
1: guess it depends on how um, – it's a really interesting question, that, that first drafting, because, like, do you include mm. the thinking time as part of the drafting process? Do you cal- mm. calculate your thinking time from the moment that you sort of first had an idea to write a thing about maybe something that might look a bit like this at some point? Mm. Do you do you think of it as, like, for example, with the Firestar, yeah. um, you know, one of the inspirations for that particular novel was a, an article that I saw about a guy who found – uh, you know, kind of fell down a rabbit hole in his – he was a farmer in his field and discovered a underground cavern, you know, that they thought might have been right. used by the Knights Templar. So I saw that and I, I you know, kind of clocked that in my mind, yeah. going yeah. that's really interesting. Um, but that actually came out um, in the story of the Fire Star – it wasn't the initial inspiration for the story, but it came out as part of the story as I was writing the story because as we know um, mm. regular listeners will know I don't do a lot of plotting before I begin so as I was writing that that first draft, um, i uh, you know the 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 underground kind of cavern idea came through in that. Mm. Um, so, do I classify that as the start of the thinking time I mean, you know what I mean like I, I think yeah. it's a really interesting process it's never for me it's never a i'm gonna except for the Mapmaker Chronicles, which was interesting idea about a you know race to map the world yeah. and a boy who who really doesn't want to go had the idea for that story didn't do anything about it for six months, started mm. writing mm. um that was the only one I've ever had that's been a definite sort of like, I'm going to write about that. The others yes. have kind of come out more so as I've been working on them. I mean, the Outer Band Cipher was all about the book. Yes. You know, it was all about the book of this book that why would you write a book that no one can read? Yes. So that was what the, st- the starting point for the story was. And then the whole story, all the characters, the world, everything else evolved as I kind of started writing it. Mm-hmm. Um. But my first drafts generally take me um, six to eight weeks.
0: Yeah. Around that. Around and, but you, you do a lot eight of eight editing weeks. and a lot of redrafting after that, don't you? The second draft is generally more of a heavy lifting
1: draft i mean Mm. the structure will all be there like it will all be in place but the second draft is where i will go through and and you know work out the detail and what's you know like as as we've discussed before mine tends to be an underwritten draft Mm. so i'm not someone who writes a hundred thousand words and then has to cut 40 Mm. i'm more likely to write 40 and have to add 20 um in the second draft um stage so yeah it's the process of 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 Writing and even creating a first draft to me is such a you know amorphous thing, it's really difficult yeah. to even know where it begins and where it ends in some ways. But, um, um yeah, I was interested by this. And, page two, I think, in this uh, sto- in this article on the Writer's mm. Center uh, mm. blog. Her first draft is always three months because she is working to deadlines. So it's like, okay, I have this long. I haven't from here until here to get the actual first draft down. So that is is when I will do it. You know, she's obviously someone who's very, very used to a deadline. And I think a deadline is a very helpful thing with a first draft because I think otherwise you could write a first draft for seven years.
0: Oh, absolutely. And many people do. Oh of course many. yeah mm, many people do. All right so we'll put the um link in the show notes you can find it on the Australian Writers mm-hmm. Centre blog but it is interesting to um you know have a look at the comparisons of uh, how many how long it takes for different authors to write different drafts to write their drafts. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to another awesome post. Um. Actually, this is also on the Australian Writers' Centre blog, but it is six mistakes fiction authors should avoid when writing guest blog posts because... Mm. They We see it all the time, don't we, Al, a pe- um, because people approach us to write guest, guest blog posts and we just see it around the tracks in the industry because yep. many authors are told that a guest blog post is a great way to build your author profile and to reach another audience, which it is. But sometimes yes, we is. see them wasting that opportunity, don't we, Al?
1: We certainly do. And I, I, I liked this article because it kind of builds on one that I wrote uh, earlier this year about how to guest post successfully um, six tips for authors. And it's, a, it's mm. a subject I feel really strongly about because it is a great way to kind of um, build your, you know, your author platform to kind of feel like move, mm. you know, to get your message out there, to do all of the, um, you know, to put your book in front of other people, you know, all of the good stuff. Um, but as you say, it's often wasted because um, mm-hmm. authors don't think through enough the fact that it's not just about writing a good post. It's mm. about why are you writing this post? Like yes. what is what are you there for? You it's have so to remember cool. all the time what you're there for, and the reason you're there is to um, is to actually promote your book. And it fascinates mm. me how often people will write a guest post and not promote their own book <laughs> within Nuts. the guest post. There were, I'll, I'll give an example in my post about a, a, a great post that I had on for, that was sent to my blog um, and it was about, um, you know, how to write dark themes in, you know, how to deal with dark themes in young adult novels. Mm. Fantastic post, really, really good. Mm. How far, yeah. you know, how far do you go? What do you do? And I got the post in and I read it and it was a good post, like it was solid but I, I wrote back to the to the author and I said, "Why have you not used your own book as ex- you have used yeah, yeah. everyone else's book in the world as examples in this yeah. in this thing, but yeah. not your own?" And I don't, you know, you cannot rely on people reading the bio at the end. You can't yeah. rely on that. You yeah. actually have got to get the message that you're wanting to get across within the actual guest post itself. And I think it's partly that mm. thing that um, a lot of authors have, of that you know it. it it's not easy to build yourself up to promote yourself it's not easy to market your own work like i i guess mm. i've been doing this for such a long time now but i've learned my own lessons because in the past i used to do um i've always i've always done book lists for parenting websites and all of those kinds of stuff and in the past i've done book lists of you know fantastic books for you know middle grade authors whatever uh, middle grade readers mm-hmm. and i will put an intro of myself at the top and i will put an, a bio of myself at the bottom but i will not include my book on the actual list this is earlier i don't do that anymore i put my own book on the list because i've mm-hmm. come to realize mm-hmm. that many people will not read the top and bottom they are just there for the list yes. so you have to actually put your own book in there i mean I, and i know that sounds like oh my you know, like really, Al, this is what we do now. But in actual fact, if you're gonna go to all the trouble of mm. doing that, and it takes work, there's a lot of work involved in all of those posts, if you're gonna put the work in, you need to at least give yourself the best possible chance of
0: of Doing what you're there for, which is promoting yeah. your own book. Yeah, I think absolutely. And also, when you say promoting your own book, um, p- y- y- people need to understand that it's not saying, "Hey, buy my book, buy my book." Isn't my book awesome? Sometimes it's the it's merely mentioning the book because that's far better than not even mentioning it all in the post, right? <laughs> well, that's right. It's and it's,
1: it's just you know like. Just never forget why you're there and it is one mm. of the, the biggest mistakes that people do um, and, in fact, we have it right here as mistake number two, you do not refer to your book in the post. Mm. Um, the other thing, of course, is, you know, writing on a topic unrelated to your book um, oh, which is, yeah. I mean, I know because you obviously get a lot of guest post submissions for the Writers' Centre yeah. blog um, and th- that would be one that you would see regularly, wouldn't it?
0: Ah, oh, definitely. You know, it's um, uh, <laughs> it's it's sometimes surprising the kind of topics that um, are suggested uh, th- and that pub- some publicists suggest as well. So you know, um, we got one the other day, and I think this is mentioned in the post. It was from a crime crime and thriller author, and because of COVID, they suggested they write a post about the about homeschooling. It's like, well, you know, that might – it kind of didn't make any sense. (laughs) Was it
1: going to be their experience of trying to write a crime novel whilst homeschooling? Was that the point?
0: Well, that's not what was explicitly said. It was just them as a parent um, homeschooling. Uh, So, you know, it was just – it it needs to be a topic related to the book but another big mistake people make is they fail to provide a bio and you might think oh they can just get a bio off your website well that's fine if your website actually has a suitable bio but often websites the number that don't oh i know i know the number that don't Often the the website on your bio is not that little short pithy thing that's required at the bottom of a blog post. It's a Mm -hmm. little bit more explanatory, it's a little bit more fun and descriptive, and it's just way too long, you know, for people to cut and paste that and put it at the end of the blog post because sometimes it's as long as the blog post itself. Yeah. So very important to make sure you craft that short and pithy bio that will make people interested to find out more about you and is short enough so people can cut and paste and put it at the end. Otherwise, they may edit out all the things you don't want edited out.
1: And also, can we just say, like, just please, from the perspective of someone who is looking for these bios all the time for various Mm. things that I do, Mm. make it the first paragraph of your bio. Like, go into how much you love cats in the second paragraph if that's what you need to do. Either make it the first paragraph of your bio or make it um, a very specific media bio separate section, one paragraph, you know, three lines. Just give me the, you know, how many books have you written, where are you based what are your website details? You know, just the basic stuff that I'm going to need that's going to make life easy. You want this for your radio stuff. You want it for yeah. your, um, for print. You want it for podcasts. Just, you know, make it easy because if you, as I said, you're relying on me to re- to Google and, mm. you know, find out more about you beyond the fact. I mean, I, like, I go to, to do podcasts. I mean, I'm on my soapbox here a little bit, but it's been a long week. Um, you know, I, You're relying on me to Google how many books you've written and half the time that information is either out of date um, Mm. and the other thing is also make sure that at least the number of books, like make sure your latest book is on your website so I can at least find that on your site. Um, And that's not necessarily even the case with some, you know, recent, websites that i 've visited, so but the bio thing yeah it 's either got to be the first paragraph can be just mm-hmm. lifted and put onto somebody you know someone 's the bottom of someone 's blog post or make a specific media bio that 's really clear
0: yeah, definitely, and if you 're listening to this and you haven 't got a book out yet and you 're thinking oh this isn 't relevant to me, it actually is because if you are if you haven 't got your book out yet and but you 're beavering away and you 're writing maybe your first draft. I think it's important if you want to start subtly building your author platform to have something in your bio like and is currently writing the manuscript for a novel about x i I think that that is useful for you to you know build that anticipation, yeah, even if definitely. you're not close yet, even if you're not yet there, you know you're not ready for submission or whatever, still put it out there that you're you're writing and and because mm. you never know. What publisher or or editor or whatever might see that and and be interested in following you because you know the premise yep. is interesting or or that that particular topic is interesting or whatever, or they just yep. you know think that you might write an interesting book anyway let's move on to um, wh- Other things. Oh, we just want to (laughs) remind everyone. Yes. Of the random any (laughs) random thing that we can think of. Because we need to get off our
1: soapboxes
0: right now. I just want to remind everyone that if you order Um, Alison and my book, uh, So You Want to Be a Writer, which is a great um, gift, but also a great book if you are interested in the world of writing. Um, And if you order before the 30th of November, you are guaranteed to receive a signed copy, signed by both of us. So that's So You Want to Be a Writer, and you can find out more at um, writercenter.com.au slash book. And it's a fantastic book if we do say so ourselves <laughs> because it's Gosh, really that practical. Because
1: we're, we're <laughs> going to practice our own self-promotion here. And speaking of self-promotion, if you are looking for um, novels for your your children, your nieces, your nephews, oh, yes. the people up the road – I was going to get them for the boys across the street that she talks about regularly, <laughs> um, can I suggest that you buy them an A.L. Tate novel of some description for Christmas yes. this year, the Mapmaker Chronicles series, the Adoban Cypher novels, or, of course, my new book, The Firestar, A Maven and Reeve Mystery. If you would like to give Al a present for Christmas, you know, in, in honour of all of this amazing information that I have shared <laughs> with you over the year, please go buy a book because it would just make my day.
0: And they are all crackers, so definitely. Of welcome. course they are, clearly yes. crackers. Let's move on to um, our competition this week. We have three copies of The Charleston Scandal by Pamela Hart, our um, Director of Creative Writing at the Australian Writers' Centre. Um We have three copies to give away. If you devoured the crown, you will love this exuberant story of a young Australian actress caught up in the excesses, royal intrigues and class divide of jazz age London. London, 1920s. Kit Scott, a privileged young Australian, arrives in the city to find the jazz age in full swing. Cast in a West End play opposite Canadian Zeke Gardner, she dances blithely into the heady lifestyle of English high society and the London theatre set from Noel Coward to Fred Astaire and his sister Adele. When Kit is photographed dancing the Charleston alongside the Prince of Wales, she finds herself at the centre of a major scandal, sending the palace into damage control and Kit into the arms of the hedonistic Lord Henry Carlton. Amid the excesses of the Roaring Twenties, both Zeke and Kit are faced with temptations and make choices that will alter the course of their lives forever. Now, ooh. just, yes, ooh. So go to writercentre.com.au slash win for your chance to win one of three copies of The Charleston Scandal by Pamela Hart. Entries close on the 30th of November. That's the um, writercentre.com.au slash win. Now, Al, (laughs) are you ready for the word of the week?
1: (laughs) It's the giggle that gives you away every single time. Uh, Yes, I am
0: ready for the word of the week, Valerie. Okay. So the word of the week is gurn, G-U-R-N, gurn. Mm-hmm. I know you what know? gurn
1: is. Do Isn't they? there a championship? I'm sure what? there's a, yeah, there's a championship. I've seen it on the news. Yeah, oh. I do know what it is. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sure there's a <laughs> lot of people out there that have never heard of gurning, though.
0: All right. Well, it does sound a bit like. Australian slang, like, are you going to footy tonight? <laughs> 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 not, you are you going to footy tonight? Are you going footy tonight? <laughs> no. <night? laughs> but it's not. According oh. to the Macquarie Dictionary, it is a distorted facial expression. Or you could use it as a verb to make a distorted facial expression. So I could say... Alison always gurns when I do the word of the week.
1: <laughs> no, I don't think you could say that because gurning no. is more deliberate whereas what I tend to do is more of a wince.
0: Huh.
1: Oh, I for reckon. i to clarifying that. Because to, to me, gurning is a deliberate distortion <laughs> as opposed to, a you know, involuntary. Yeah, it's okay. deliberately. Yeah, so I don't deliberately do it. I just can't help myself.
0: Oh my God. So, what do you mean all- there's a championship?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's like a world gurning. Th- I'm sure there's a world gurning championship. Oh, okay. I'm sure the reason I know about gurning, yep, it, yeah. I'm, I'm Googling right now. You yeah. can look at clips. There are clips on okay. YouTube all
0: of right. the gurning
1: world championships, the world's wow. ugliest sport. Um, you can look at last year's winner. From September twenty one, um, oh, yes. but yeah, no, I, I vaguely remember seeing a news a news item about it like years ago, and no, it's probably never going to turn up in one of my books. Although now that you've <laughs> reminded me, maybe it's a thing I can use somehow.
0: Uh-huh. There you Fascinating. Go. There you go. Word All of right. the week, and that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our course, Freelance Writing Stage 1. If you want to be a freelance writer, our five-week online course is the fastest way to get there. Step-by-step, you'll explore how to get story ideas, approach editors, research and structure your article, plus learn about interview skills, industry expectations, and much more, and have your own tutor to answer all your questions. Listen to what Megan Blanford says.
2: I am Megan Blanford. I'm a full-time freelance writer. Uh, before I was writing, I was working in uh, the corporate world, in human resources. But after I had my first daughter, uh, who's now six, um, it just wasn't working for me anymore. They wanted me to come back full-time. I remember sitting in front of my computer one day and thinking, what do I do? And I thought, this thought popped in my head, I've always wanted to write. always wanted to try writing since I was a little girl and I'd got caught up in this sort of sensible path. So I sat there and I thought, right, well it's now or never. So that day I signed up for the Australian Writers' Centre um, magazine and newspaper writing course. So it gave me the confidence to to put myself out there and sell my skills, um, pitch ideas, look at different publications I could write for. So after I did the writing course, I Hit the ground running. I'm now a full time writer. My writing work has appeared in The Age, Jetstar magazine, Essential Kids, International Traveller, Wellbeing, Practical Parenting, uh, Kidspot, and lots more. I really credit doing the course with the Australian Writers Centre as a real turning point in my writing career. It's helped me build it up as a business, and I think the community around it as well, with other writers. And
0: talking through ideas and problems that we're facing has been a huge help. To find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash freelance writing. Alrighty, so shall we move on to our writer in residence this week, Al? Let's do that. What a great idea. Well, people are going to know who this person is because... Her story, in a sense, is quite famous. We're talking to Sue Briley and her book Mm. is called Lioness. Now, people will be familiar with Sue Briley because she was played (laughs) by none other than Nicole Kidman. In the movie Lion, which, of course, is the movie based on the true story of Sue's son, Saru Briley, who wrote the book on how he got lost in in, in India when he was a very small child and ended up in uh, a children's home and ended up being adopted by Sue and her husband and... In Tasmania, and then used Google Earth (laughs) later in life to track down his his you know his original home, and finally uh, was reunited with his mother. Now, none of those are spoilers because this story is so famous. The difference with Lioness is that this is Sue's story, and she has, and it is not a repeat of Lion. There's a lot of really interesting and um, quite uh, poignant and um, thought-provoking stuff in, in Lioness. So let's have a listen to Sue. So, Sue, thank you so much for joining us today. There would be very few people on the planet or certainly in Australia who aren't aware of your story because it was immortalised, not only in your son's book but also in the Hollywood uh, film Lion. Tell us why you wanted to write this book.
3: Well, after talking about it and being approached by Saru, we felt it would be a good idea He didn't know all of the story, but he felt there was enough information there to share and that it would be worthwhile to do so. And furthermore, Penguin agreed with the idea. And so I began the project almost three years ago.
0: And so Saru liked the idea of writing this book. Did you like the idea? Um, I liked the
3: idea because mothers like to do what they're... Uh, family feel would be good Mm -hmm. he was very positive about the idea of course his story is an incredible story and we just felt it might fill in a bit of the um, family story prior to our decision to adopt and him coming to Australia
0: I mean, it is a fascinating story in itself because it is your story. It's the story of your family, your life, your parents coming over from Europe um, and uh, and your experience with, you know, your father and um, the difficulties there. When you started writing it three years ago, What was your feeling? Were you excited? Were you daunted? Were you scared? Were you what?
3: (laughs) I think probably in the beginning I was quite enthusiastic. I'm fairly methodical in what I do and I'd prepared a a 19-point proposal for the publishers Mm -hmm. and I was quite looking forward to each part of that list and also I had a, a huge resource of many diaries that I've always kept Mm. So I knew I would be able to do it accurately, um, and I felt that would be a great resource to get me going. Of course, some of these sections were quite challenging and difficult to write about, mm. and certainly they were exposing things that had not been seen or heard of before. Yes, it was a very personal angle. But once I got going, I, you know, I'd made a commitment, so I just got into it.
0: So tell us about that process Um, did you just sort of follow your 19 points and fill in the blanks so to speak or did you aim to I'm I'm not sure whether you had a deadline or not whether they gave you a deadline but did you aim to try and um, write a certain number of words in a certain period just tell us about how you methodically got the words down.
3: I didn't um you know, just set certain hours. But mostly I found myself writing sort of later in the afternoon when I'd sort of done my daily activities. And then I'd just take myself off. I converted my art room into my writing room. I put a desk in there and set myself up in the quiet, peaceful space Mm. and really just started putting down the words. I'm not a fast typer. You know, it's two or three fingers, (laughs) <laughs> and also, you know, I really put a lot of care and attention into each sentence. I reviewed what I'd written quite frequently. Mm-hmm. I was quite pedantic about what I was putting on the manuscript. Yeah. So towards the end, uh, you know, the time sort of whisking away. Um, and I think I just had to keep doing it like that. And I was doing it on my own in the quiet, you know, so Mm. that that helped me sort of get my thoughts together. And, you know, with each point, I elaborated on that. So I did have more of an oversight of what that chapter would be. And then, of course, it took time to refer to the diaries to Mm. work out the time spans. I had a huge resource of documents as well, particularly those referring to my parents' financial affairs, so I was Mm. digging those out, Um, you know, and that was all part of my style because I really wanted it to be very accurate.
0: Mm. And when you say you had 19 points, which you were essentially in your book proposal, were they 19 chapters? Did they end up being those chapters um, sequentially?
3: I did write 19 chapters mm-hmm. and an epilogue. And in the editing process, of course, quite a lot of work was shed and yes. two chapters were combined.
0: Right. So
3: in the end book, it's not quite as I wrote it, but the the basis is there.
0: Sure. But when you mapped out those 19 19- points or original chapters were they the order in which you had planned to write them or were they just 19 random parts of life
3: they were in order they were my life from my earliest memories to now and i I read a lot Mm. I started reading a lot of memoirs in between Mm. and so I soon got to know what type of memoir I liked and I found that I do not like those that skip back and forth in time Okay. I, I wanted to tell my story, not challenge the reader's skills. So I stuck to the
0: time yes. quite closely. You must um be a natural because it is very well structured. The the arc in this is it's it, it just flows really well, the structure of your book. So in apart from reading lots of memoirs, did you do anything else to kind of shore up your skills in writing?
3: Not really, you know, because I've always been fascinated with reading. But I think the foundation of that, unbeknownst to me, may have been the type of books I read. And I do particularly, not so much of late, but I've really enjoyed reading the classics and English classics particularly. And I guess they are in turn very well structured and laid out. So maybe I just got it inadvertently.
0: Mm-hmm. No, and that was
3: then what I practice on practiced on my own pages.
0: yes, so you as I said, you obviously have an instinct for structure, but when it comes to writing about your own life, it can be very what's the word um well, stressful <laughs> because certainly it's so personal. What did you do when you were getting to those? bits that were really, really quite deep and personal. You know, not just the the, the facts. That's pretty easy yes. to write. But the stuff that was really personal and revealing, what did you do? Did you just go, stuff it, I'm just going to write it anyway? Or did you angst about it? Oh, it was quite
3: difficult because my family's, um, my sons are still alive and my yes. husband, of course. These were things that were really unknown often to them. Mm. And so I knew that would be quite a challenge and particularly for my younger son. Mm. So I had to be very sensitive about that and I did really spend a lot of time with each sentence in those yeah. parts of the book. You mm-hmm. know, I, I didn't want to cause harm or, or create harm um, but I had made this call and I was going to do it, mm. so I had to honour it. Mm. It At times, you know, I have to admit, it was not fun. I was not mm. in a happy place at all. In fact, at some stages, I thought, really, I'm getting post-traumatic stress, digging mm. up all this stuff. And, you know, I had trouble sleeping. Uh, you know, really, at times, through parts of this book, it caused me quite a bit of grief.
0: Mm. Because, uh, you know, I, I really encourage people to read the book because they may already know, obviously, of Saru's story, uh, but you also, in, in your own family, your own mother, um, parents, had, um, you know, difficulties. You, a, another part of the story that isn't so well known is um, uh, your 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 younger son, is about your younger son and his life and his journey. What did you do? I, I know that you say that you needed to be sensitive to them. Did you have some kind of family meeting, or or did you just go through the manuscript with the, How how did that kind of sort no, of stuff out? I, I trusted
3: my heart because I really feel that a lot of the parts that were tough and that I wrote about in quite a bit of detail, I think they need to be known mm. because. In a way, I tried to make my story a bit of a circle of my life from my childhood to the stage that I am at now, because I think in society, you know, we're so conditioned by what, you know, the media, movies, news, you know, whatever. It's all out there. But I think it's very important for real people to talk about these concepts and, I feel very strongly about some of those, particularly about parents who become parents when they really shouldn't. I think that's quite bad. Mm. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I had an opportunity to share my views Mm. and, you know, I took it. I thought, um, if I'm going to do this, there's got to be a bigger picture to this story, not just me, you know, reminiscing about the past Mm. reiterating what everyone already knows about my eldest son's story mm. i had to make it a worthwhile thing for me personally as a woman
0: right i also want to uh, emphasize to listeners that it's a worth it's a worthwhile thing for the reader as well because it's there. even though obviously you do discuss the Ruth story it is it doesn't dominate this narrative at all. This is uh, a brand new, not a. This is a whole other perspective that is um, equally as fascinating. So, mm. um, you've said in the book that it was also quite cathartic to write. Tell us about that. What kind of cathartic experience did you have?
3: Well, the, the reason I mention that is because, really a lot of those things were very unknown outside my family walls. Mm. So, you know, I was living a secret life really with a lot of stuff that went on that nobody knew about in my broader um, sense of friends and acquaintances and so forth. I felt that there was value in sharing them mm. and I also I think I've got to a stage where I'm a bit over... The secret, mm. you know, I think that uh, it is time for me to put it out there, and I guess sort of touching on what you said just a moment ago is that I don't want my work to be considered that I've just jumped on the bandwagon of lions' glory and raw, mm. because Saru and that story doesn't need any propping up, mm-hmm. and I didn't – I don't really want to be compared but I just want to satisfy the curiosity of the why mm. and maybe by sharing that it could be worthwhile generally mm. or I hope so anyway.
0: Oh, absolutely. I don't think it's just the why. I think it's just the gaps that people go, well, I wonder what happened with that. I wonder what happened with that. I wonder what happened with that person and and a lot of that is answered in, in this book. When you – but let's go back to – because, you know, uh, uh, Saru's book um, obviously was successful and was made famous by the the movie. Do you recall the day or the time that you found out that, hey, Nicole Kidman is interested in playing me? (laughs) That's like
3: bizarre. (laughs) Well, I I certainly do. It was on my Mm -hmm. 60th birthday and I was wandering along the waterfront – At Woolamaloo with my husband, Mm -hmm. and I got a phone call saying she'd seen the script at Cannes, where a lot of potential movies and scripts are tabled. Mm -hmm. And of course, all the actors and film people are there. Mm -hmm. And it caught her eye, and she inquired about it. And uh, yeah, so I got a very wonderful call saying, Yes, she wanted it. So I was wrapped because until then, everyone had just sort of joked, Oh, yeah, right, she'll you know as if you know the the usual thing yeah. but i i really had a gut feeling right from the beginning that she would accept the role
0: yeah right did you even did, so so you you fundamentally believe that you didn't kind of go as you someone joking like on the other end of the line
3: <laughs> no no i instantly uh, accepted it because i'd already felt that yes Everyone was saying I was joking when I said I wanted her to play me and they would say yes, you know, as if. But why shouldn't I have a bit of a say and choice, you know, because this is a story about alive people
2: Mm. and
3: she was fabulous really. She's a beautiful person and a wonderful actor and I really couldn't have wished for anyone better but Mm. then furthermore, It could have been a terrible experience if an actress was picked that I didn't connect with, Mm. that I didn't feel portrayed me well, Mm -hmm. that wasn't sensitive to my deepest personal feelings. You know, there's a lot of actresses out there and quite honestly, I was very happy that she accepted the role.
0: Yes, well, I don't blame you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that kind of goes without saying. Um, What was the most challenging thing about writing this book?
3: I think the hardest thing was the fact that it was going to make public my deepest personal views Mm. um, about a lot of things that aren't the norm, that aren't, um, as we say, politically correct in a lot of ways, although some of those have been sort of tweaked in the final edit. But it um, it was hard because I'm not one to sort of fake it. Mm. You know, I'm you, um, pretty much as you see and find. And at times, and especially in the latter years, we're all so on guard about what we say and think. Mm. And at my age, I am finding that quite tiresome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and further to that, I think also it's it's not a positive way for a society to behave, you know, where you, we're so restricted even with certain words being mistaken for some other. You know, it's just all in some ways getting out of hand. Mm. So really, if I'd probably try to say some of the things in the book, um, as they are now, but maybe 10 years down the track, well, it would have had a lot of black lines going through it. Mm. I pro- so mm. it's probably in good time that I've done it now.
0: You say that you lived with all of those secrets for so long and now you really want there, – there's there's stuff in the book that many people in your life don't know. Um, why did you live with the secrets for so long and what makes you ready now to tell them? Because,
3: you know, when you think about your life, your career, your workplace, your acquaintances, your friends, Mm. they're not all going to feel like you. They're not going to understand where you come from, the birth of your emotions and views in so many areas. And I do not like conflict really, you know, I'm not going to start talking to people, acquaintances or work colleagues about personal things with the risk that they may disagree because, you know, I wasn't mm. really interested in doing that ever. I, I would find that really rather frustrating and futile and it would give me a lot, lots of stress that I really didn't need. I, I aim to live Quietly and calmly, and I don't, you know, this a friend of mine has a saying that I quite like, and it's don't poke the bear. (laughs) 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 So that's sort of how I come to interact, and plus the other thing is a privacy issue because you know, not everyone needs to know everything about you, sure, and I've always been very mindful of that, but of course, now. A lot of those things are out there now. But that said, there are some, some things that are not in the book. Mm-hmm.
0: How have Saru and Mantosh reacted to the book?
3: Well, Saru's been very enthusiastic about the process. You know, he sort mm-hmm. of feels in some ways it's his little baby and he'd always <laughs> be saying, have you been writing today? Mm-hmm. Oh, You know, you should, why aren't you writing? But of course, for most of the part, he wasn't here with me. so you know, that relieved me of that rather tedious situation. <laughs> My other son knew I was writing a book, but he didn't know to what depth and extent, extent I was doing it. So now as he's been re- been reading that with his partner mm-hmm. together, they've both been sort of sitting and reading together, um, he's been quite overcome and it, I'm a bit sad about that because I know he has cried about Mm -hmm. some of the things that I endured because of his Mm behaviour and he has apologised to me Mm -hmm. in a very kind and heartfelt manner and he truly is a lovely man. Mm -hmm. I couldn't be more proud of him. He has had such a gruelling life and a lot of things that I tried to remedy for him, I was unable to do so. So he does have issues that are ongoing in his life. But at the core of it, he's the kindest, care, very caring man and I'm very happy to call Manny my son. Mm-hmm.
0: You mentioned that in the editing process that many words were shared and a couple of chapters were combined. Do you recall um, how many words you submitted and how many words it ended up? just so that we get an idea of how much was shared?
3: I wrote about 80,000 words Mm -hmm. and lost about 10, but then with reconsideration of the um, process, some were reinstated. Right. Because editing can be a bit matter-of-fact and there are protocols... Uh, in play, that are in the training of an editor, you know, and I understand that, but I haven't been to university and learnt any of those things. And I was particularly insistent on my book sounding like me. Mm, mm. So, and I put a lot of effort into into my words. Mm. So, as it is now, I think that's turned out well. Mm -hmm. I think it's a book that's easy to read. I don't think it's a challenge. I think it sort of flows along quite well and that the reader will enjoy the process even Mm -hmm. if the parts they're reading are difficult.
0: Mm. When you say that you wanted the book to sound like you, uh, are you saying that in the initial – uh, you know first pass of editing it got it, it lost your voice?
3: Not in the first pass that was actually a, a great process for me because obviously I'd never done it before but I was mm-hmm. allocated a great um, editor I don't know if I can say names or not so <laughs> <to> <laughs> um, So I worked with uh, Joe Butler pretty intensively for nearly six months and I took a couple of trips to Sydney and we holed up in a hotel and went through the pages closely and, you know, it was a good process for me Mm -hmm. being it was my first time. So we got on really well and in the end I was really very happy with the manuscript and then, of course, it was submitted to the publishers Mm -hmm. where, you know, they've got in-house Editors, and so there was more tweaking that went on there. But anyway, as it is now, I'm I'm pleased because, quite honestly, I found the latter parts of the editing quite grueling and stressful. In what sense? Just, you know, the constant back and forth thing. You know, that's it's so time consuming, (laughs) and so that part. And by then, of course, I'd put a lot of hours and time in this, I was getting to the stage where I just wanted it done. I wanted to sign off, mm-hmm. say, yes, this is it. Mm. But, but you know, there's – in publishing, there's the process of the um, – Oh, it's a it, long process. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. It just, you know, whereas really I had no um, appreciation of that really. I just didn't imagine it could be as tough as it was.
0: Mm. Has this now given you a taste for writing more?
3: Not really. I yeah. I might think differently a year down the track. <laughs> I might just be very happy to focus back on the things I used to love, like my painting and garden and, you know, friends. And, and because it, really this project has taken me away from a lot of the things I used to do that were yeah. big parts of my life. Yeah. So, you know, I've been asked that question a few times and the one thing that pops into my mind is that would my story have been better as a fiction?
0: No, is the short answer. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean without a doubt a resounding no oh
3: okay (laughs) you don't
0: even need to ask the question i don't think
3: (laughs) okay right so if that's the case then my writing career may well have been completed
0: (laughs) (laughs) how um what do you hope people will feel or think or be provoked to think uh after reading this book
3: I hope they think deeply about a lot of things, Mm, domestic violence for a start,
2: Mm.
3: Mm. Uh, children who are in bad families or Mm. ill-prepared, inefficient, hopeless, whatever, all the uh, politically incorrect descriptions of family Mm -hmm. that there may be, because I really don't believe that it's a God-given right to be Mm. a parent. Yes. And I know that firsthand. That said, it's meant that I've put a lot of effort into being the best parent I could be. Mm. So I hope that that's a concept that people might reflect upon, that maybe people who are thinking about whether they should have children or not. Mm. And also the other thing is that maybe it might um, spark interest for some in doing more charitable uh, works um, because there's so much need out there, and I really feel for all these kids. You know, I can't help myself, mm. and so it's it's easy because sometimes I get criticised. You know, oh, you know, you're a a giver. You know, like that's mm-hmm. not really how one should be, but really, it's important to me. The other thing I try to sort of raise in a, a gentle way, is that, you know, the planet is made up of an awful lot of women in p- privileged countries and home situations. And I just feel we've got to start looking out for our sisters that are doing it tough in other parts of the world, particularly, you know, that they're on their own with children. They can barely feed, you know, in Middle East, i you know I just cringe every time I think of all the war zones there and this absolutely destroyed cities and towns, yeah. and then all of these women there with children that are just virtually abandoned there, and yeah. I feel that very deeply, so maybe it might spark a bit of um, interest in people being more sharing yeah. of their position and wealth, yeah. love. You know, there's, you know, our human species in a lot of ways can lift and be better. I'd like that to sort of come through in my book also.
0: What was the most enjoyable part about writing the book, about the process of writing the book? I I quite enjoyed
3: um, some of the chapters, you know, just sort of, remembering, researching the diaries and just fondly remembering things and and I enjoyed the fact that my memory is in good nick, Mm. you know, that that was very important to me because otherwise I would have struggled with a lot of the pages. Um, Mm. So I was happy about that and I did quite – um, enjoy the solitude of just quietly sitting in my lovely room and just being at peace and working through and coming to the end of a paragraph or a chapter and thinking, yeah, I'm really happy with that.
0: So did you actually, just tell me about, imagine you're writing a paragraph. Did you, how long would that take? Like, did do you angst over... Every sentence, and then go back and rewrite it and rewrite it, rewrite it, or did you just get it out there, and then maybe come back to it a lot later
3: no, no i I pretty well did each paragraph and moved on from it when I was satisfied mm. so um that um meant that I quite quickly, even though it took a long time, but I worked through my 19 points with sensible order. And, you know, I took a lot of time with certain descriptive words particularly. You know, I I wanted to show that even though I started as a very ill-educated child, I have... I think achieved quite a reasonable standard of wordcraft, and that encouraged me because as I moved on, I thought, "Yeah, you know, I certainly had put my best effort into each
0: paragraph." Mm. Yes. Um, When you say that you you really you know like pondered over some of those descriptive words. Did you – what was the process? Did you just think about it or did you look up thesauruses and dictionaries and
2: Google
0: and, you know?
3: When I sort of looked at a a sentence and thought, oh, that's a bit bland, you know, Mm. is there an alternative word for that? And on the computer you can click on that little thing which gives you a list of similar
0: words. Right, yes.
3: And so I did use that quite a bit. Mm. Um. So that uh, was helpful, but I really wanted to make it um, also very visual Mm. so that while people are reading this, they could sort of almost see things that I'm writing about, Mm. you know, like I was describing, say, when we bought a block of land and then started building and then my obsession with gardening, and I'm writing about that, you know, I sort of hope that the reader can sort of almost be there with me, you know, while I'm uh, building a rock wall and laying concrete and Mm -hmm. all of these things that I talk about that I'm doing, I hope that they also spark a visual uh, concept with the reader as well.
0: What would your best advice be, your top three tips for people who are about to embark on a memoir and any memoir, almost any memoir has that element of just deep vulnerability and um, the need to reveal so much of yourself. What would your top three tips be to those people who are going to face that, who are about to face that?
3: Right. Well, I think probably number one is get your draft points down. Mm. Then second to that, fill that in a little bit more, a little bit more detail. So maybe with the time span relative to that. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: So that's one thing I I would suggest because it worked for me. So maybe it might be helpful for others. Um, And secondly, be very Honest because when you start second guessing yourself, oh, I shouldn't say that, or I better leave that bit out. Yeah. be keep it sensitive but authentic,
1: yeah.
3: Because I try and think that if it's not authentic, the reader will pick up on it and lose interest, yeah. So that's probably the second point, yeah. Um, and I think really finally just work hard at it and trust yourself. Mm -hmm. Back your own um, intellect and just say, yes, I've got this and push on.
0: Well, Sue, incredible book, incredible story. I'm so glad that you took the time to to write it because I think many people are going to get a lot out of it. Thank you so much for your time today, Sue. Thank you. Thanks for having me. There we go, Sue Briley. I'm sure that book is going to go off mm. during, you know, buying for Christmas. So Definitely. Fa- such a fascinating story, yeah. Anyway, uh, what are you doing in the coming week, Al? Oh, you know, gearing up for the end of the
1: school year and um, I'm actually, what I am doing at the moment is uh, tutoring the Teen Creative Writing Quest um, which is really interesting. I'm finding that um, I'm finding that very. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. Mm. Just. Uh, you know. I just. I'm constantly fascinated by how incredibly clever some of these kids are. Yeah. Oh, I know.
0: Just amazing.
1: Amazing. So sophisticated. Mm. Um, you know, I look back to myself at that sort of age, and I, I don't know. Like, it's very hard to judge what you were doing yourself, but um, I just don't remember ever being that. Focused. Well I definitely yeah. wasn't that focused. Not on, you know, not on writing at
0: that stage. But um yeah, I just it's just amazing, extraordinary. Yeah. They're so talented. So Alison's mm. talking about the Teenage Creative Writers program that we have at the Australian Writer Centre. And it's a fantastic course for teenagers who, you know, love writing and want to develop their skills in writing and creativity and get feedback from a tutor like Alison. Um if you want to find out more, go to writerscenter.com.au slash teens. And uh, it's a fantastic course, yeah. All right, so I am not going to be. I've Marie condoed so much. I think I no don't need to Marie condo any further. What are you going to do with your time now then? Well, I
1: now, now that pra- you now that you've cleared the decks, <laughs> like the decks
0: are ready to go,
1: like the deck mm. chairs can slide up and down them without any they dramas.
0: Can. Yes, yes. What
1: happens now? I have to practice cello. Oh, how is the cello going? I saw you tweet that it was very hard. It is very um, hard. Oh, I don't understand why you are surprised by that. <laughs> yeah, like I that know. <laughs> the, the only thing that surprised me by that about that entire social media exchange was that you were surprised by the fact that <laughs> the cello is difficult.
0: Oh my god, they make it look so easy on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Everything looks easy on YouTube. Do you know what oh else I've god. been doing? I do have some one other thing to say before we go because go? Um, I've actually been watching some gurn. Telev- gurn. I'm not gurning, <laughs> not gurning at all. But I've actually been watching some television. Oh like my I've god, actually, what? I know. Well, I've started uh se- season four of The Crown. I know. like I'm always about oh, a yeah, thousand yeah, miles yeah. behind everyone else. But I've started season four of The Crown because I yeah. do. I really enjoyed the fir- Like I really loved the first two seasons. Mm. Season three. Mm, not so much. Season four is, you know, like Diana's made her appearance, and all I can think about is, I don't know. It's like watching, it's like watching Bambi run into out in front of a car. Mm. Like it's that. Yes. That's where. Yes. That's how I kind of feel. I've only watched a couple of episodes, but it's just like oh, I just wanted to tell her to go home. And I know. That's not yeah. going to happen. Um. Mm. So yeah. So I'm kind of watching that, and I've also started watching The Queen's Gambit. You know, the oh, chess yes. one. Chess, chess. Yeah. Yes. Which um. I was discussing because uh, Book Boy watched it, you know, binged it and right. loved it. And yes. um, so I've started watching that and I've watched watched—I've only watched the first episode, which I really enjoyed but which I found it a little bit freaky. And mm. he told me that, he goes, yeah, no, I know what you're saying, but the first one I felt the same way but then it gets heaps better. So yes, I love true. the concept though. I love the whole chess thing really,
0: you know, yeah. really does it it's for a, me. Yeah, it's a great show. Yeah. And with the, with the Crown, I just sit there and – mimic them the whole time do you you know like what, practice goes, practice your posh voice yeah well like oh, diana wow. she goes all right and Di- and and charles always goes dana 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 <laughs> <laughs> <Damn it>. dana <laughs> Honestly, now i'm not now you've ruined it for me how am
1: i supposed <laughs> to watch it now without yeah. having you in my ear going dana <laughs> I can't stop saying (laughs) dinner. I have to say, you know, I know speaking of gurning, let's just have a Mm. moment here. Okay. But um, Maggie Thatcher in this, like in season one here, it it was Gillian Armstrong, isn't it? Gillian? Uh, Anderson. Anderson. Anderson, sorry, Anderson. Mm. Sorry, wrong one. Um, and I before I started watching it everyone was saying how amazing she was and I watched that first episode where she kind of makes her first and I thought oh, i I can't watch I can't I don't know if I can do however many episodes of her doing that yes, because it's yes. just it feels so over done mm. to me it's mm. certainly there's no subtlety in that particular performance at all that I can see
0: no but she and she's 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 got her body right too, though she she's quite oh, convincing but- in the way she stands. But yes, no, it, she it, does. It, it's but do so you not true. feel? Do you not yeah, feel there's gurning, there's gurning? It's, going on there. It, it's, <laughs> it's kind. I, I'm too busy going Dana, <laughs> Dinner. So I'm but not really is, noticing. It's Magibata. borderline
1: caricature. Am I right?
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. It is okay, borderline. Right. Yeah. I was but, worried it was just me. Thank you. Uh, Dinner. Yes. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> All right. Yeah. Exactly. You have got it. <laughs> You've got it. That's, that's so spot on. <laughs> okay, I think we need, we need
1: to finish now before we can into right. our Enid. All we'll right. bring out our Enid cool. Blyton voices next and that'll be the end oh, of it. Oh,
0: yes. Oh, my God. Um. All right. So um, where do we find you online now?
1: Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, com dot You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Writer.
0: And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K H O O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at valeriekoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye, (laughs) Dean. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.